Hey, Roger. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's good for this rainy Friday. I know. This raining is making me sleepy, but I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Yeah, I had a long day at the dentist, but I'm here. You feeling okay? Yep. Ready to record some show. All right. Last episode, we uh, talked... We had some small talk about little-known black history facts to us. We also touched on our personal relationships with learning about black history and how we handle, you know, different historical events that take place in front of us today. Yes, and we're still learning today. I'm Angela the mom. I'm Roger the daughter. And And this this is Talking Brown Sugar. Sugar. Oh, some of your brown sugar. We're jumping in the sugar bowl really fast. Mom? Oh, yes. Got a good one. What about when you go to through the drive-thru? They tell you to pull over because your order's not ready. Pull over. You check your bag. It's not the point of you missing straws or condiments, but your whole order is totally wrong. You take your time, you go back inside, they look at you like you made a mistake. Your receipt says what you ordered, but the contents of the bag is totally wrong. That's a whole weighted bag of marbles. Because um, you can blame capitalism, you can blame customer service, you can blame how they was trained. But then it all goes back to, you know, we see a lot of retail jobs, especially in food services where they expect people to get paid for one position but they have to carry three and four different positions so everybody's running three and four different jobs you will mess some stuff up yeah and you talk to the manager sometimes the managers look at oh it's your fault the line was long we sure to help and you try to be you know have emphasis with them and empathy and you was like um is my order gonna get fixed then they tell you you're gonna have to wait then you wait Sometimes it's worth waiting. You might get some free extra food. I know that's something, you know, that was the joke between different generations. How, like, millennials have a higher capacity to wait and, you know, be kind to people when they mess up. And then they say, you know, like, was it, what are y'all, like, the baby boomers? Mm-hmm. How y'all are, y'all will snap as soon as something don't go your way. And, um... You know, different meme about it's like the um, <laughs> the cashier saying or the waiter saying, "I'm sorry, uh, we're a little short staff today." And it says, "Me, a millennial." Okay, that's fine. And then they'll say, "My mom or dad." You know, then they will uh, it'll be somebody like boiler with rage. But I think that's just funny. You know, just the difference in how we experience those things. Yes, you know, it's just I try to be patient, but sometimes I do have a little. Rage because I'm hungry. I'm ready to eat. Sugar Cubes, aka the news, where we put a little sugar in your cup. Yes, today we're going to start off with, you know, before um, some a little more black history, a little bit more. Um, we can always celebrate black history, which we will do 365 days a year. But this article comes from Indie Week. It says, before Greensboro's famous lunch counter protest, Durham's royal ice cream sit-in quietly sparked a movement. 
This article actually came out in June of 2017, but I think it's still relevant today. So Virginia Williams celebrated her 80, 80th birthday uh, this year. She also quietly celebrated another milestone. June 23rd was the six, 60th anniversary of the Royal Ice Cream Sit-In where Williams and six other African-Americans demanded to be served inside a segregated Royal Ice Cream Parlor in Durham, and they were arrested for it. The historical marker at the corner of Roxborough and Dowd Streets, where um, Union Independent School now sits, commemorates the 1957 sit-in, which is otherwise overlooked in the narrative about civil rights demonstrations in North Carolina. The Woolworth sit-in in Greensboro, which took place almost three years later, um, cast a long shadow. But the royal sit-in in the first civil rights demonstration in Durham um, to result in arrest was equally important and for what it set in motion. Um, in the 50s, the royal packed with um, lines every Sunday after church. There were two doors um, that separated white customers from black customers. The Roxborough entrance had a whites-only sign over the parlor door. And, you know, it was a long counter with cozy booths for people to enjoy. And then around the corner on Dowd Street, that's where black customers had to go in order and they were entering from the back. Uh, the article says, Williams recalls that white customers would drive from other parts of Durham to visit the shop while black children ran over from their homes across the street. The irony is that the royal ice cream set in the heart of you know the community of color, but um, Williams says, they're in our area taking our money. The dollars were green, just like theirs, but we couldn't even sit in there. Um, in May 1997, Williams, who had moved to Durham from rural Northampton County a year prior to take a food service job at Duke Medical Center, attended a meeting for young black people at the Southeastern Business College on Venable Street. The meeting's frank political discussion was a revelation to some uh, for whom activism had always been a more fervative affair. Says, we lived on farms owned by white people, she says. On Sundays, grown men dressed up and quietly left the house. My mother knew, but she didn't tell us. I realized then that everybody's father was slipping off to these NAACP meetings. Williams had never heard of a sit-in, but felt compelled to participate in uh, the group met again in June, 20, June 23rd. So that's 1957, June 23rd. And she settled on a nonviolent demonstration at Royal, the Royal Ice Cream Parlor. They loosely planned the details. It says, um, Williams recounted, um, we could have gone anywhere in Durham, but it's where everybody flocked on Sunday afternoons. So about 6.45 p.m., participants spread out across the shop while the waiter asked them one by one to leave. And one by one, Williams and her group, um, Mary Clyburn, Vivian Jones, Claude Glenn, Jesse Gray, and Melvin Wills. Wilsford refused. By the time the children of North Durham were at the windows um, peeping in, William said this was the hood, so black children were walking all over and looking. Eventually, the manager called the police. The cops arrested the seven for trespassing. The next day, they were charged. Um, there was an all-white jury trial, and each defendant was found guilty and fined. The lawyer appealed. The NC Supreme Court upheld the law regarding um, segregated facilities. 
the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear that case. The city didn't garner much public um, publicity. Uh, didn't garner much publicity. Williams recalls that it was a quiet summer, and most students from the nearby colleges were out of town. So historians and community members um, attributed to its timing. Citizens to the south weren't rampant at that moment. In her book, Our Separate Ways, Women in Black um, Freedom Movement in Durham, North Carolina, Christina Green explores another reason. The tensions the royal sit-in unleashed in the black community, she documents a schism in the sentiments and radical about radical tactics. Mary Clyburn, who hid her involvement in the sit-in for many years, remembered the ugly faces of blacks looking madder than the white folks. So, like in the reports, they made sure they used, um, like, the angrier faces of black people than they did whites. The same way we see today how when people are reporting about, you know, black and white issues, which aren't really black and white, but they'll say they're black and white issues and they have the person of color or the black person with an angry face and everybody else looks, you know, um, more relaxed or natural looking and not angry. Um, and then it says, among the leading organizers, Floyd McKissick, whose legacy um, includes being the first African-American admitted to UNC's law school, his son, state senator and lawyer, Floyd McKissick Jr., was four years old at the time of the royal sit-in. The McKissick family moved lived off the Corporation Street, just two blocks from the parlor. There were one of the first they were one of the first African American families to own a own home in the white neighborhood in Durham. Wow. History. It says after school desegregation began in nineteen fifty nine, things were heightened in terms of awareness and sensitivity and that's when we received the highest amounts of threats. He says, phone calls threatening to bomb the house. We actually would have people sitting on our front porch from dusk till dawn with shotguns to provide protection. Um, and the McKissick points out that progress made over the last 60 years won't necessarily continue. Vigilance is required. I think this is an important piece, too. He says, the thing we cannot do today is become complicit. There's a strategic effort being made today by those who would like to see the Supreme Court reverse the progress we've made to suppress votes. We have demographics on our side due to the browning of America, but we still need to be careful. Williams echoes the sentiment. Um, Don't come in and expect to be sitting at the head of the table, she says. Put in the work. We still have a lot of work to do. What do you think about that, Mom? That was real good because, you know, we forget how we got here and who sat at these tables, as you say, who fought for these rights for us to even come through a door. And there are still some places in the South that black employees can't even come through the front door in Durham. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think it's important that... um we also know that a lot of the people who were at Woolworths in the sit-ins, a lot of people at the Royal sit-in and just sit-ins across the country are still alive today. So, you know, on both sides, people who were, you know, throwing food at people, spitting on them, um, calling in bo- calling in the families, you know, bomb threats and things, they're still alive. And they've passed down that hatred to their offspring. So... 
that point made by McKissick that there's still work for us to do, even though we have a browning America. It's like you, we still have to be vigilant because there are people who, you know, have that that hereditary hate that has been passed down to them um, since they were kids, as their parents were taught that kind of hate when they were younger, and still hold it in their heart as you know senior citizens who are sometimes written off as well. He's old and. You know, people try to make excuses for their parents or their grandparents saying something because of their age when it's still not excusable. Um, We still have to remain vigilant because there are people who still exist, as we have seen, who still have hate in their hearts, who are young with hate in their hearts for people of color and just hate for other people who are different from them, who aren't you know, seen as heteronormative or just um, not able-bodied or abled in a different way, um, who are neurotypical. It's just so much hate that still exists, that's still young, um, with energy, and we still have to be vigilant against that energy um, as we continue to, you know, fight for equality and racial, social justice, um, we still have work to do because because of that hate that still exists. We still have that work to do because that produces a fear. Um, that realization of the Browning of America produces a lot of fear. And from fear, we know, comes ignorance and just dumb decisions. Also in the news, this was kind of sad to hear, um, Bennett College still um, loses the appeals hearing, and with it, they lost their federal accreditation. Um, so because they lost their accreditation, even after raising about $10 million, which they thought would have been sufficient to keep accreditation, at least for this, at least for this year, um, that means they won't be able to participate in federal programs like financial um, aid. And what are you going to do without financial aid? Um, so the school um, has been reported to say that they're going to sue, but they're also going to try to seek accreditation from other agencies as well in the meantime. But just more sad news come from that story. Um, I thought we were in the clear. I thought it was in the clear too. It seems like somebody needs to step up. They raised all this money, and something could have been done. You know, they they make ways for other colleges when they're in a bind, and they raise more than what they needed. I'm gonna pray for them because some something needs to be done. Yeah, we can still support Bennett College um, as they start to make different moves and things. Still stand with Bennett. And support them however we can. I still stand with Bennett. Oh, Bennett Bills. In a little lighter news, um, the Peppa effect is sweeping the nation, the U.S. Um, children are becoming Anglophiles, fake accent and all. Um, saw this article in Jezebel um, just talking about American kids, you know, now starting to call their dad mommy and daddy like Peppa Pig, which is a really cute show. I know you all have seen the clip 
if you have it, you should look it up. The clip about um, Peppa Pig trying to whistle. And she's talking to her friend Mary on the phone. And she says, I can't whistle. And then you hear Mary, the lamb who whistles. I felt that because I too cannot whistle Peppa. I'm just like Peppa. I can't whistle. And she heard her friend whistle on the phone. And she just hung up. And you hear the dial tone. That was the funniest thing. But, um... You know, they say all good things come in moderation, but Peppa is one of UK's most famous cartoons and is popular for American kids as well. So now kids, you know, who really aren't from the United Kingdom or the UK in general, I said that twice, <laughs> Europe um, are developing British accents. I think it's funny. I enjoy this show because sometimes we are. Have, make little funny jokes we'll practice our British accents like having a spot of tea and my kids be like no mom don't, don't do it I'm like I want to practice my British accent yes you could use a bit more practice there darling oh, 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 my dear chip chip cheerio that's the end of uh, Sugar Cubes on to more show Today's main discussion, we're talking about home remedies that are tried and true, many of which have been passed down uh, generations. Angela's going to take the lead today because she has many of those inside of her head um, that were taught to her by her mother and her mother's mother and her mother's 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 mother. But before we dive into today's main discussion, we do want everyone to know that the following information provided is intended only for educational purposes and the accuracy is not guaranteed nor warranted. You should also not use the following information as a substitute for medical care or medical advice. Any questions you have regarding medical care must be addressed with your physician or other healthcare professionals. If you have any emergencies, please dial 911. Thank you. All right. From tribe to tribes to midwives to African Americans, we have so many beliefs that comes from the European people that brought um, cultivation of land to us. But it's hand in hand. From the slave trade plus learning how to do crops and cultivation. We've learned from each other. We come from different lands. We come from different people. We make up different lifestyles. So from what I've seen and from what I've learned from my family, they always talked about how things were to to succeed and to use seeds and crops. So my knowledge of listening from my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and her mom came up how different seeds probably was transferred from different slaves as they if they met through a slave trade from where they probably came from the Caribbeans, from West Indies to South Carolina. So when they had like the rice fields to even the cotton fields, there was a seed. So if a baby was born, you had to have a midwife. But sometimes in Africa they had voodoo doctors. People practice their own mixtures for healing, for mental healing, for spiritual healing. So from what I'm getting my information from is from my family tree. You can say on that, Rob. So getting back to the good stuff, we're talking about some home remedies 
that which we probably heard our family talk about, like sweet oil, you put it in your ear for earache. Spider webs, you put in for like an open wound to heal, making men better. And some of these do work. And we're not going to even talk about like snuff, chewing tobacco, which one of my aunts did do to one of my cousins. They would take it out of their mouth and rub it on their arms or their legs for the mosquito bites. And we're going to talk about boils. I know some people probably heard of that one, using fat meat or fat back to bring it to a head so they can bust it. And my favorite is always chicken noodle soup and ginger ale. That's my to-go-to for my kids and for myself. Because if you have a cold and if you're feeling bad, ginger was always a good thing, even for teas. Different countries came for brought their own teas. And some people like spearmint tea, licorice tea, but you have to be careful when you use those kind of teas because they're kind of highly impotent. Yeah, that makes me think about the chicken noodle soup song, you know, chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle soup with a soda on the side. The soda is ginger ale, y'all. Now let it rain and clear it out. Clear it out. That's the nasal passages. All of that is getting cleared out from the chicken noodle soup and the soda. Bam. History. Yeah, and then as things got better, people came up with rock candy, which was like you boil the candy, you put medicine in it. And um, then they started selling the candy. It's a clear candy, but now it has different colors. Plus, we got pot liquor, which that comes from your collard greens or your your cabbage. People would drink that so they would feel better. Then, uh, now this is a classic one which I never used, but my grandparents and my great grandparents said it was a thing called a sugar tit. A sugar titty. Yeah, a sugar tit. They said when the baby be kind of gassy or kind of constipated they'll put a little sugar in a clean like almost like a cheese wrap you know like a gauze and they would twine it up that's the word they would say twine it up and put a little rope around it and they would let the baby suckle on it so the baby's saliva would loosen up the sugar which makes them have a better bowel movement so it was a laxative pretty much it was a laxative so in my days, we had castor oil. That's some of the terriblest tasting stuff in the world. I never gave it to my kids um, orally, but I would rub it on their stomachs. Now they have different flavors like orange and cherry. So we had the three sixes, Father John's, Castoria. Quite sure you have some of y'all heard of these. My funny thing was we used to get loot and cough drops, and we would eat them like candy. Didn't know we was about to mess ourselves up. But when my mom would have like an upset stomach, she would use an Alka-Seltzer, which would fizz in the water. And we would put our faces over me and my brother was like we was being like mad scientists. Then Plus you had the goodies pill, which was a powder. Then you had the BC powder. Now a lot of slaves and people said that comes from a cocaine plant. But now which was they had aspirins. So now, you know, you talk about the opioids and stuff like that. We, that's a whole other conversation. But the good thing about what we have learned from this, we have brought so many home remedies to the world and exchanged it. And now in the medical field, they use it, but they don't give us too much credit. We have different medicines that have been, I guess, designed or they transform it from another name, but they don't say where the origin comes from 
which tribe it came from. Because so many things are lost in conversation. So, and some of the other things I found out about was... Uh, cotton balls, when they used to call like salves, they would use like fat meats, and they would take the the grease off of it, and they would make like a salve with ground up clothes. Um, to if you had like a burn, so when you hear people say salve, that could be a mixture of anything, but it was for healing mechanisms, because you know people couldn't afford to go to no doctor or anything. They'll go to somebody's around their house or to an auntie or somebody else. Can you make me some salve? You know, some kind of mint or besides the, you know, like, menthol. So we had our own home remedies, which we still pass down today. Yep. Um, and I know they take on different forms based on what you have at your disposal. I remember being away for college and just remembering um, different things when I got sick. Um like if the um, infirmary at school was closed, um, like if I felt like it's the weekend and I felt a cold coming on, I would definitely get a bunch of vitamin C where I could you know, get some orange juice and cough medicine and some lemon juice and ginger in my tea to break everything up um, as soon as possible. Um, and also, like, if I was just congested, I know, um, like, lemon juice or some citrus drink, not like, you know, you go buy a citrus drink unless it's organic, but literally just lime juice, lemon juice, broke it up, broke up the mucus, dried it up pretty fast. Um, I didn't use this in my adult life, but I remember being, um, like, Vicks Vaporub was a thing that helped. Um, like you put it on little kids' feet, um, to pull out whatever sickness they're going through. Um, what's, what was the thing you did with, with Rajon, my younger brother, with the dime? It was, it was a something. It had to be a silver. It had to be like a silver dime, a real silver dime. You put it on their neck so their teeth would come through. So they wouldn't have no, you know, whininess for when their little teeth come in. It worked. It worked. Yeah, because he was the only one who had his stubbornness teeth didn't want to come in. Yep. Any other things that that you can remember? Yes. There's some other things, some other practices that we practice in our family. Um, onions. We used to put onions around pressure points to bring down fever. And one of my aunts, she would always have a copper bracelet on. But, you know, that's for like for arthritis reasons or a string around her ankle. Let's say, you know, to draw out the, the sickness and the in your impurities of your bones. And I was like, okay, we're not fooling with that copper because when you look on your wrist, what happens? Your wrist turns green. And another good thing we always used was salt. Salt was always a good thing in the house. You can clean with it. It's a deodorizer. Salt, warm water, like gargling your throat. Your gums are sore from brushing your teeth. That's when you use, like, baking soda for cleaning, too. And, you know, it's like all wellness things because you got your teas, your ginsengs, your poppy seeds, your cocoa plants for different infections to help you so you can have a, a better life. So we still practice today. So we we got to keep on communicating and passing down your own home remedies for safety reasons or just have a, like a telltale story so people know what went on in the world. 
Yeah, I noticed that a lot of home remedies and things that worked were based off um, just natural products and things in their organic form, either straight out the ground or wasn't manipulated much. Um, and that's still true today because I feel good when I have my vitamins. Um, and then in general, when I get checkups or whenever I get my blood pressure checked, I've never had high blood pressure or anything like that. You know, you have your garlic, um, Cheerios. What else can you do for good blood pressure? Oh, well, for your good blood pressure? Like you just said, your oatmeal is always good. Your Cheerios. Drinking some orange juice and relaxation. Mustard. Mustard. Like a little teaspoon of mustard. I was like carrying a pack when I used to work. I would carry two packs of mustard with me just in case. Because sometimes you just need that quick fix and it had turmeric in it. So that helps, you know, bring down the vessels. Because sometimes it's not so much of your pressures of the fluid that retains and make the arteries in your body so tight. Your pressure and your heart rate, the oxygen's having a hard time functioning in your little body. So we just got to remind ourselves of these things. Yes, you can share your family's home remedies with us using the hashtag Talking Brown Sugar. Uh, don't give away anything that's too top secret that your grandma might fight you about. But you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Talking Brown Sugar, on Twitter at Talking Brown Sugar. That's Talking Brown S U G. Or you can email us at talkingbrown.sugar at gmail.com. I'm Roger the Daughter. I'm Angela. We out.